Thanks for listening to the Voices of UMass Med, featuring the people, ideas, and advances of UMass Medical School. Amid the coronavirus pandemic, many of us have been turning to nature walks and time outdoors as one of the few escapes from quarantine. But time outdoors brings its own risks from ticks. Lyme disease, one of the most widespread tick-borne illnesses, is the focus of today's Voices of UMass Med. In March, we sat down with Dr. Mark Klempner, a professor of medicine and executive vice chancellor for mass biologics of UMass Medical School. It's the nation's only nonprofit, FDA-licensed manufacturer of vaccines and biologics. And for 125 years, mass biologics has been addressing unmet public health diseases. And that's where I want to start today with Lyme disease. And you think about this uh, year round. Um, what are you working on here at Mass Biologics? I've spent a good deal of my career uh, working on Lyme disease and many different aspects of it. Um, I actually started out uh, trying to understand how it actually caused disease, the pathogenesis part of it, so called. Um, and that uh, was uh, back in uh, right around 19. 90, um, when I did a series of studies to try and understand the pathology, and I went to uh, work at the Rocky Mountain Labs in um, Montana, which are a National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Labs that are focused on uh, vector transmitted diseases, uh, vector here being uh, a tick. Mm -hmm. And that really caught my attention uh, that uh, uh, the bacteria had just been discovered recently uh, by Willy Bergdorfer. And I went to work with Willy Bergdorfer and uh, his lead postdoc at the time. Um, and uh, that was the spark that started for Lyme disease. And I then from, moved from working on how it caused disease, so-called pathogenesis, to treatment. Um, and uh, uh, those were very interrelated. And of course, as an infectious disease uh, physician, uh, the, um, the, the ultimate goal is prevention. And so I moved from pathogenesis to treatment to prevention, which led to vaccine development. And then coming to Mass Biologics uh, afforded me the opportunity to pursue uh, an alternative route uh, for a prevention. And that is what we are working on now here. Uh, and the which, important distinction is that it's not a vaccine. Correct. It's prevention. Correct. So why, how does that happen? Yeah. So um, the way vaccines work is they expose you to little parts of the bug and uh, you then develop an immune response and that immune response leads to your prevention, your immunity. Um, we've been able to figure out what actually is the, the part of the immune response to the vaccine that is the preventative molecule. And that turns out to be an antibody and we at Mass Biologics um, are great experts in antibodies and developed a whole bunch of them, as we'll probably get to talk about. Um, and so we figured out that there was one antibody in particular that if we gave to 
animals and hopefully soon to people that it would be able to prevent the disease without having to go through that whole series of steps of vaccination, repeated vaccinations. Um, in this case, uh, providing the actual antibody that we call Lyme prep, developed here at Mass Biologics, uh, is what we believe is the answer to prevention. And as you mentioned, it's, it's called Lyme prep. You don't, if, if all goes as you hope it does, you would not, individuals would not have to build up an immunity to it. You would get a shot and it would be effective that day. Correct. So what we've done is bypassed the need for your, you to develop an immune response to the pieces of the bacteria, and we've actually figured out what it is, and then we give that to you. And its great advantage is at least twofold. One is that you become immediately immune once you have this circulating antibody in you, and that's the same day that you get the shot. Uh, the other one is uh, related to so-called off-target or side effects. And, and here, when one develops a vaccine, when uh, one develops an immune response to the vaccine, um, there is a large number of antibodies made, only one or two of which are relevant to prevention. And the rest are hopefully innocent bystanders, but occasionally they do bad things. And here we avoid that possibility because we have a very defined single antibody that we know uh, uh, induces prevention um, and none of those other antibodies. And so that is uh, a key advantage. And so as we sit here in early 2020, what is the status of human testing on this Lyme prep? We've already uh, been in touch with the uh, Food and Drug Administration um, in terms of presenting a timeline for filing an investigational new drug, a so-called IND, and our intention is to file that uh, this calendar year, which would allow us to begin the first human clinical trials by the end of this calendar year. Lyme disease started maybe in the Northeast, but now it's endemic across a huge portion of the country. Correct. So can you touch on that and also, uh, let's say, let's be optimistic and say when that testing goes forward, it will not take place in the Northeast. You're quite correct. Uh, we think that the epicenter initially was in the Northeast somewhere, uh, probably in New York, although we don't really uh, are, not are not Lyme, sure that. As well, that's where the syndrome was first defined. So there's been wonderful studies of the movement of this particular pathogen that follows directly with the tick that transmits it to us. So as the tick uh, has moved across the country uh, from the Northeast uh, to the upper Midwest to the Northern Pacific areas, um, we have found Lyme disease in all those places. Um, however, in the past 20 years or so, there's been a real movement southward Toward, way down towards the mid-Atlantic area and uh, westward from uh, almost connecting the areas between uh, New England and the upper Midwest, so all of the places in between. And when you add all of those areas of endemicity up, we estimate that uh, somewhere over 60% of the American population lives in an endemic area. 
Wow. So if there's 325 million people in the United States uh, right now, it's something on the order of 180 million people live in endemic areas. So very serious concern for a lot of people, a lot of families. Uh, but let's touch on that testing. The testing, if there were clinical trials, would be done outside the Northeast? And why Correct. is that? Okay, so uh, the natural progression of clinical trial and drug development is to first do no harm. And so you test your drugs first for safety and the so-called how long they last in the bloodstream, the so-called pharmacokinetics. And uh, that uh, should be done in a place where you don't expect anything to interfere with your testing. So if we were to do this kind of testing in the Northeast where some people might have pre-existing antibodies to Lyme disease, um, we would have to screen all those people out to do our first studies. So we purposely go to a place where we're expecting our, the normal volunteers who will get the first shots to not have been exposed ever to Lyme disease. And um, so we've been most recently looking at places in the Southwest. And if you could look into that crystal ball and if the IND is filed in 2020. When do you think people might expect, best case scenario, some sort of treatment that they could, or prevention rather, that they could uh, use with, for themselves or their family? Sure. Uh, so I think um, that the timeline would be something like this under an optimal circumstance. Uh, the phase one study would end in 2021. You would then begin an efficacy study in either the end or the beginning of end of 2021 or the, or the beginning of 2022. Uh, that study would similarly take about a year because we're looking for protection over the entire mm -hmm. uh, season. season. So you have to run that study for, the, for nine months at least. You can see then that the next study, which would uh, likely be a bigger so-called phase three study, um, would happen at the end of 2022 into 2023, and that's when you would try and seek licensure. So our, our global time frame would be, uh, best case scenario, would be something on the order of late 2022 into 2023 um, as uh, availability. You're listening to the Voices of UMass Med podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Mark Klempner, Professor of Medicine and Executive Vice Chancellor for Mass Biologics of UMass Medical School. Of course, uh, while Lyme disease and Lyme prep uh, is a critically important project, it's certainly far from the only one that you have going on in your own lab or here at Mass Biologics. I wanna talk about the work that you're doing to address infectious diarrhea, which is um, maybe less common in the US, but one of the major causes of early childhood morbidity and mortality in the developing world. So tell us about yeah. E -tech. Our work here is really uh, a long continuation of um, uh, unmet public health needs, and this is one of the top priorities globally. In the uh, developing world, uh, safe drinking water and uncontaminated food from things that cause diarrheal illnesses are, are a major problem, and they lead to uh, uh, death and morbidity and mortality 
um, among vulnerable population, which are children under five. And those children will become dehydrated. They're in uh, settings that are difficult to control, um, and it is the second leading cause globally of, of childhood uh, death uh, around the globe. Historically, attempts to prevent uh, infectious diarrhea have centered on taking antibiotics as a prevention. So we uh, have taken the approach that either a vaccine uh, or a passive immune therapy, uh, like an antibody, uh, might be used to prevent. For over 40 years, uh, people have tried to develop a vaccine against enterotoxigenic E. coli, and it is extremely difficult because the bacteria that causes enterotoxigenic E. coli diarrhea wears eight different sets of clothes on its surface, and almost all of the preventions that are out there are directed at trying to block the back to try and recognize the bacteria so that you can block its binding to the intestine. That means you've got to recognize it wearing eight different sets of clothes, and it's very difficult to do that uh, in a vaccine. So we've taken the approach that we could generate uh, an antibody taken by mouth that would prevent the attachment of the bacteria to the intestine and therefore block the diarrheal illness. What's unusual about this is that every other antibody that is used in the world to either prevent or treat infectious diseases is a so-called IgG antibody. These are the antibodies that typically circulate in the body, but the ones that normally are present on the, the mucosal surfaces of your mouth, your gastrointestinal tract, your genitourinary tract, those are so-called IgA antibodies. And so we've taken advantage of our great expertise in antibody development and said, why not an IgA antibody taken by mouth to um, prevent ETEC? And uh, we have done a series of studies, first in mice and then more recently in non-human primates and demonstrated that the passive administration uh, of an IgA antibody uh, to either of those species will prevent enterotoxigenic E. coli diarrhea. That's a wonderful story, and we're going forward with that story, uh, but um, it's not the solution for global uh, prevention of childhood diarrhea. And the reason is simply cost. Uh, for us to produce uh, this antibody is an expensive proposition um, and uh, one that while we can prove the principle, uh, we can't uh, make it um, at a cost, uh, at pennies a dose, which is what you would need to do. And so we've uh, uh, teamed up uh, with the help of the Gates Foundation with an organization that uh, uh, has found a way to manufacture IgA antibodies in plants, and in particular in rice plants. So we see this as a global solution to uh, enterotoxigenic E. coli or ETEC diarrhea. 
um, by, uh, develop, by transferring our uh, uh, research uh, towards a manufacturing operation in plants that would make this way more cost-effective. So is the hypothesis that at some point down the road in the developing world people could plant these special type, this special type of rice that would act like medicine? Exactly. So um, our hope is that you um, solve two problems with the same, um, with the same medicine. It's called food. <laughs> Uh, and what our goal would be to have a foodstuff that would be locally produced that would contain in it uh, a supplement that would uh, uh, be effective in preventing ETEC. And so you said you're collaborating with the Gates Foundation on this work. And, and what, what's the status of it? Where are you in that process? Yeah. So I, I've alluded that we've already demonstrated uh, that uh, the IgA antibody can prevent diarrhea in these two species. We are now doing a series of studies that, sh that are looking at uh, when the antibody is made in the rice plant, does it look and behave exactly as it does when we make it in our more typical uh, process in, the, in a steel tank? Um, and uh, those studies are ongoing. They look like uh, they, it is indeed very positive. And uh, so the next step there um, is to uh, propose a, a human clinical trial. Here, um, there are some great advantages. So unlike most diseases in, in the world, um, it is possible to test for the efficacy of certain of medicines against certain infectious diseases. For example, the way we are developing uh, new treatments and vaccines for malaria is, is that you actually can um, expose people to the malaria agent because you can treat it and you can make them better in an experimental setting. It turns out that some of the diarrheal illnesses that obviously in a controlled setting are not lethal uh, you can uh, do those as well. And so almost all the studies for over 40 years that have been um, used to try and license medicines to prevent ETEC have been done in a controlled challenge model. So you uh, have normal volunteers uh, who come in um, and they then take a a drink of Montezuma's Revenge material, the, the E-Tech, uh, and uh, you see if your medicine worked. So th this is a, a much quicker path. So we, we're, we're very fortunate and we are collaborating with a very experienced, probably the most experienced um, clinical trials unit that does these challenge models at the University of Maryland. Um, and um, we're hoping to actually do that study also this calendar year. Wow, busy year. Busy year. There's so much more we could talk about. I mean, you have uh, specialized in emerging infectious diseases for your entire career. How did you get turned on to that? Was it early on in your career? It was very early on. Um, I was actually, uh, I, I, I'm one of those people who knew I wanted to be a physician when I was very young, and it was all due to a a high school experience uh, where I wound up 
uh, working in a VA lab for a very influential surgeon when I was a senior in high school as part of an experimental program of spending half a day at high school and half a day at the VA hospital, which happened to be quite convenient. How fascinating. Yeah. Um, but then uh, I went off to medical school, and um, I was sure I was going to be a cardiac surgeon. And um, I went to Africa in my fourth year. And uh, while I was in Africa, I was exposed to, I was at a very rural um, hospital in uh, Nigeria. And uh, there I saw lots of challenges that related to infectious diseases. This is before AIDS. This was still in the era when I saw everyday kids with measles. They were dying of measles. Lots of tetanus, lots of malaria, lots of unknown fevers, lots of pneumonia, lots of childhood illnesses. And I can remember very distinctly saying to myself, I could do more good in the world with a gallon of vaccine than I could do uh, by going back and becoming a cardiac surgeon. Mm -hmm. And that was the turning point. And that was the turning 20. point. And uh, I came back from there. I went off to do my internship at Mass General. And, um, and then from there, I went to the National Institutes of Health in the Allergy and Infectious Disease which was an incredibly dynamic place to look at infectious diseases. And so, and worked with Tony Fauci and John Gallen, who were my mentors, along with a guy named Shelley Wolf. And um, the die was really cast then that I was going to be an infectious disease, and the rest is emerging history. infectious <laughs> disease doc, right? But it, it definitely was that taking a, um, taking a risk, going outside my comfort zone and saying, uh, um, I, I want to see the world and what I could do in the world. And then trusting that instinct. Trusting that instinct, despite my, uh, my dear mother and father who said, you're going where? <laughs> but I went to Nigeria, despite it being a very unstable place to go at the time. Dr. Mark Klempner, thank you so much for your time and sharing these stories. Keep up to date with everything happening at UMass Medical School by following us on Facebook at UMass Med, on Twitter at UMass Medical, and on LinkedIn at University of Massachusetts Medical School.